All right. So is everybody getting over your turkey hangover? You got you guys look kind of <laughs> turkey hangover. Did anybody um, have like any of those? You might be a redneck Thanksgiving moments. That's just <laughs> I had a few. I just just can't help but share. Like you might be a redneck if antelope is on your Thanksgiving table. You know, actually Marlon said you might be an African if antelope's on your Thanksgiving table. But and rabbit, rabbits on your Thanksgiving table and uh, quail. Yeah, it was quite a spread out there at the barn. Dove and a what was that? A savory cream sauce. It's always good to hide dove in the savory cream sauce, but uh, no, it was it was awesome. And then uh, you might be a redneck if around your Thanksgiving campfire there's lots of lighter fluid put on the. <laughs> I, that was my next one, Janet. You might be a redneck if at your Thanksgiving celebration fireworks are included. So uh, later that night, I saw fireworks going off on the farm. But uh, no, in all seriousness, I just. You guys honored us last week as the pastors and thanked us, and I wanted to take this opportunity since I got the mic to uh, say thank you. Thank you, River Life Fellowship. Um, You guys are an amazing church. Um, Thank you most of all for being a family, you know, because I think that's what the church is. God's a father, and we're his kids, and and you guys are a family, and, uh, you know, as my family's time winds down here shortly as we're preparing to do to duplicate this family in another town chapel hill um you know it's been so meaningful to us and uh, as i look at all the faces around this room even new faces i mean it's still even if you've only been here a short time your friendship and your love has been more than you can know and uh you know i've been on staff here for almost 15 years and it's it's kind of a bittersweet thing to be doing the next thing, if you know what that feels like. But you guys are what makes it possible. And uh, also, I'm just thankful for the, for the agape love of God. And I, I know you can echo that. Do you realize, I came across this one time, and maybe it's something that you know, but you don't even think about. Agape love is unique to the advent of Christ coming to earth to the Gospels recording agape love. You know what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 13, unconditional love. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. All that, that, that kind of love does not exist in any other world religion in the history of the world. Every other concept, in some religions, the concept of love doesn't exist. That's unfathomable. But even in the ones that it does exist, this I, love is always conditional. You you understand what I mean? But with our God, with the one true God, He sent His Son, right? An unconditional sacrifice so that based on no merit of yours or mine, we get loved. And out of that love, we love. Isn't that an amazing thing? And, uh... Sorry, my mouth's a little dry this morning. I must be nervous. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I'm just really so thankful to the Father for His love that He's poured out into our hearts. And uh, we have an opportunity to shed that love upon other people's lives. And uh, I've seen you guys do that time and time again, not just for me, but also for other people in our community, around the world. It's amazing how many of you guys 
travel to Africa and Asia and South America and every continent on the planet to share God's love. Thank you for being that kind of a church. Thank you for being willing to have a heart to give and to go and to, and to do. It's an awesome thing. And so, you know, as a son of this house, I get to be a part of that and go to Chapel Hill in a few months. And um, Which, by the way, I wanted to make a comment. Byron said clear. At the end of December, I'm officially not the ch- uh, associate pastor of this church, but we're not planning on moving until the spring sometime. So we're going to be around for a while. <laughs> so, uh, I've had some people ask us about that, but we're excited about what God's doing there. He just continues to open doors. Even this week, more doors continue to open. It's just wild. <laughs> it's, it's just really wild that we're just stepping and he's fulfilling every, uh, putting every path before us. So thank you. Please keep praying. And uh, we value your prayers. And then we're going to be talking to you more about how you can be involved in this process that we are doing as a team, right? I mean, can you see with me in your mind's eye, can you see a duplication of what we're doing here this morning in another place? How many people can see that? Just curious. Okay, good. (laughs) I hope you raise your hand because that's the goal. That's the goal is the presence of the Lord, a habitation for the manifest glory of the Lord on the earth in as many places as possible. And God's targeting that one town of Chapel Hill, North Carolina to do that next. Even if they were invaded, Michael, by the, the by the devil yesterday, the devil, that was the blue devils. They came to town and sent us packing, but I don't know how the devil gets into blue heaven. I, I just anyway. all kidding aside we will welcome people from duke in our church in chapel we'll pray for deliverance my wife's gonna get on angel you know she just graduated from duke so they give me a hard time and sarah tells me i have to be careful even the way i talk you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna behave but uh (laughs) maybe yeah (laughs) but uh I want to kind of sort of continue on a topic that I started last time, whenever that was, about a month or so ago. Um, I was talking out of Matthew 16 uh, in the story of where Jesus had come out of tragedy. He'd come out of suffering. In fact, his cousin, his first cousin, John, we call him John the Baptist, John was murdered. And out of that place, he had to give out of himself, even out of a place of extreme devastation. He kept trying to get away. It says he would go off into the mountain to be by himself. And then he'd look out and the guys are in trouble on a boat in a storm on the sea. You know, so you remember the story. He walks out to him. And then what happens? He ends up calling Peter out of the boat. How many people remember vaguely me talking about that? All right. So I can go with five people. Um, now, I know. It's from week to week. It's hard to recall. But anyway, you know the story, at least if you're familiar with those gospel accounts. And um, so I, I think a lot about Peter. He's kind of an interesting character and, and the faith that Peter had. What do I mean by faith? Well, the ability or the, the, the willingness to see even what's unseen and act on it. Do you know what I mean? You know, that can be really hard, can it? Okay, God, you're asking me to see something that actually doesn't exist and then take it a step further to do something about it, like to act on that, that's, that can be really hard. 
especially for a visual culture. You know, for, for a culture built on naturalism, what you see is what you get. Naturalism says only the things that you can see or experience with your five senses are what's real. And we have been educated in that kind of a culture and environment. So faith, okay, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen is very difficult for people like you and I. But here's what Jesus said about this substance. It's a substance. I think it's a spiritual, tangible substance. I think of it as being similar to how years ago Byron would talk about there is a real river that flows through this church. How many people remember that? And people are like, huh? <laughs> Can you explain that? It's a spiritual river. It's the flow of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Well, faith is a real substance. Yes, it's unseen, but it's real. And here's what Jesus said about it. He said, it's, here's how big it is. Or here's how big it is inside of many of us. It's as small as one of the smallest of seeds. A mustard seed. But, he said, if you'll have the faith of a mustard seed, what's going to happen? You can move mountains. Punch your neighbor and say, you can move mountains. Now, that I know that. Byron said, I know that's to be true. But how many people would recognize that the reality in your life, you're not sure if you're there yet? You know what I mean? How many mountains have I moved today? How many mountains have I moved, period? Much less today. Well, we have a decision to make. Either we're going to adopt our theology to our experience, or we're going to maintain our theology on the Word of God. So God's word says that if I have faith as a mustard seed, I can move mountains. And I believe Peter kind of caught a glimpse of that. I think Peter, you know, preachers like to talk. He was this kind of redneck guy, kind of a wild man, kind of off the cuff, you know, probably drove a Harley. You know, if you can follow the personality type. He, he kind of you know, spoke rough, acted rough, played rough. But yet, I think this rough guy that Jesus got a hold of and spoke into his life and said, you, I'm going to build my church on you. Do you realize that just a short time later, my wife pointed this out to me the other day, he pulls Jesus aside, like, hey, uh, Lord, we got to have a chat. Can you imagine taking the Son of God aside to rebuke him? Because Jesus said, I have to die. Pete's like, no, come on you know, you're going to build your church on me, so let's have a chat. He takes him aside and he says, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> yeah, devil, the devil's using you, Peter. You know, of course, that's not the end of the story. My message is really not about Peter, but it's not the end of the story. But the point is, is in the middle of all of our doubtfulness, that seed, that mustard seed remains on the inside of you. Why? Because it's not your seed, it's His. It's the faith of Christ. And because of that faith of His, <laughs> because that faith of His that resides in you and in me, you have favor. In fact, why don't you just stand up with me here just for a second. I want you to repeat this after me. And why don't you just tell this to your neighbor. I am his favorite. 
And because I'm his favorite, I have favor with God and man. Since I have favor with God and man, his faith, not mine, has been released into my heart. With his faith, all things are possible. If I will believe it. All right, you can have a seat. Now that your neighbor is slapping you, like, yeah, just get over yourself. It's true. Just as Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Joseph is a prototype, right? He's a messianic prototype in the Old Testament of the Son of God and of the sons and daughters of God, all of us. Just as Joseph was the favorite son of his daddy, so you are his favorite. Do you believe that? See, that makes all the difference. When you wake up in the morning and you know, Pam, that you're his favorite, it makes a big difference in your communication with the Father than if you wake up and just go, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It's been about five days since I've actually prayed and read my Bible. We, how many people know that routine? Okay, everybody else who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. So anyway, you can go repent after the service. No, You know, no, forget all that. You're his favorite. Period. Period. What? You mean I don't? Remember we just said that agape love means it's unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more and there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. You're his favorite. You know, uh, just let me run through some scriptures real quick. This is Ephesians 1. You guys are familiar with this one. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure. You hear that? The good pleasure of His will. Why am I His favorite? Because He willed it. Why are you? Because He willed it. It's His will. It's His good pleasure that we should be called sons and daughters. And then Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known were the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then here's another good one, John 1, 12. This is powerful. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. You have rights as a son. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So what's the condition? Believing it. That's the condition, which is really not a huge condition. It, the condition's not if you're good enough and if you pray enough and you do all the Christian disciplines enough and if you give all your money. The condition is believe it. If you believe that you're his favorite, then it's true in your life. It's always true with him. Sometimes it's not as deep in our hearts. So I'm his favorite because I'm his favorite. I have favor with God and man. Here's what it said about our Lord. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, where does it follow from there? Well, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Jesus resides in you, then doesn't that same favor, because you're his favorite, reside inside of you? So you have that favor as you walk through your life. 
And then the favorite Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Do we have the right translation up there? No. By the faith of the Son of God in the King James, who loved me and gave himself for me. So whose faith is it? It's his faith. And Jesus said to him, Mark 9, 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So what's the condition? You believe. I'm just trying to stir you up. I, here, let me just give you a little background. The reason I'm talking about this is because I believe we live in an hour where, the, where the, the Father wants to stir up the faith in our hearts. Okay? Not, not just a saving faith. We've got that if you're a Christian. If you're not... Uh, uh, born again here this morning, it applies to you just as well. If you'll believe, that's it. It's a free gift. You can have eternal life right now and in heaven when you die. It's just that simple. But for all of those who do know the Lord in here this morning, which is a majority, I realize I'm talking about a faith in order to have the power of God operating in our life for the days ahead. Because how many of you know in the days ahead, we're bound to need the power of God. <laughs> and uh, actually, I meant to start with this verse, but I don't think it's up on the screen. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul tells the church, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. I love that word assurance. I'm going to come back to that. The word didn't just come, it didn't just come in words, but it came in power and the Holy Spirit, which brought assurance. It brought a security that these things are going to happen. As you know, what kind of men we were among you. Now, let me read, uh, let's read about Joseph here. Again, the son of favor, a prototype Messiah, foreshadowing the coming of the Son of God, Christ, and also the internal reality of our lives. Um, I just thought this was interesting in Genesis 39. If you want to click in your Bible, isn't that fun? You can say click now instead of turn. Or some people have pages. Genesis 39, 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Remember, he was sold by his own brothers, if you're not as familiar with the story. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. You got that? And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Everybody say, saw that the Lord was with him. It's really important. We're going to come to see that the first um, outworking of faith in our lives is seeing something. They saw that, that, that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord made all, everybody say all. In, in the Hebrew, that means all, everything. It made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. See, there's that favor that resides in you. It's the favor of Joseph. It's, it's passed on through our lineage. It's the favor of our ancestors. Has anybody ever found out like on Ancestry.com or something that you had some famous, uh, famous ancestor? 
Anybody? Okay, a few people. I, I found out that like 17 centuries, it's not centuries, that would be way too long. 17 generations ago, like in the 1500s, one of my ancestors, Heinrich Bullinger in Switzerland, was actually, yeah, it's, you know, it's with a U with two dots over it. I don't know, whatever that is in Swiss. And uh, anyway, he was one, he was a Reformation leader. He wrote some theological works that actually they still have some copies of them in the UNC Chapel Hill Library. I plan on reading them. He wrote them, and the Puritans in New England trained their pastors with my ancestors' books that he wrote. When you find out stuff about that, you find out, you think, man, granddad had some favor. (laughs) Maybe yours is a military leader or whatever. There is favor that's even physically passed on through our lineage, but mostly we are sons and daughters of Abraham. Aren't we? Even as non-Jews, as Gentiles, we're adopted, the Bible says, into his lineage. So that favor resides with you. And you know what's so cool about the grace of God? Even in those bad days when you don't believe that, it's still there in the gym. That kind of blows my mind because I just established the only condition was if I believed it. <laughs> I think I should say with a footnote, believe it initially. And then when you have bad days, it's still there. Just don't have bad weeks and bad months. Get over that and come back to recognizing what you established in the first place, that the favor is there. And here's an illustration. Let me just sidetrack for a minute. In Hebrews in Hebrews 11, it commends Sarah, the wife of Abraham, for her great faith in believing God. Now, how many people remember the story of Sarah in Genesis Does she strike you at first glance as a woman of great faith? Not exactly. I mean, she laughed when God said, hey, old woman, you're going to have a baby. As most people would. It's impossible. And, and, but later on, it says, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews commends her for her faith. And that kind of blows me away. So that's just a side note to encourage you. In those bad days and bad weeks, God's faithful. He hasn't written it out. He hasn't crossed it out in your book. Like, well, sorry. You know, sorry, Nate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you didn't believe this one day, so you no longer have the favor. No, just reestablish, remind yourself from times past. I would challenge you in Hebrews 11 during this next month of the holidays even. For, I don't know why the holidays are significant in this, but go back and study the lives of those great, I'll call them reformers of the faith in Hebrews 11. You know, Enoch and Abel and Abraham and Moses and all those. Go back and really look at their lives. Get a snapshot. Why? Because it'll build your faith. That's why he put it in Hebrews 11. Because it'll build our faith. That seed of faith in our hearts will grow as we begin to water it with the word of of those guys, those reformers in Hebrews 11. So then he found favor He made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him an overseer of his house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for whose sake? For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Isn't that something? How does that apply to you? The blessing of God is on your life. The blessing of God is even on the people who surround you, their lives. 
because it's on your life. His blessing is on there. Yeah, Matthew, I don't feel that right now. That's okay. I'll believe it for you. And then when I need, you can believe it for me. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Which, by the way, I'm not going to read the whole story about Joseph, but you remember a short time later, um, things go bad. <laughs> all this favor resulted in uh, Potiphar's wife accusing him of rape and him being falsely imprisoned indefinitely with no chance of parole, rotten in a jail cell. Where's the favor now, God? I don't know, but somehow, if you read the end of the story, Joseph refused to get bitter. Joseph refused to hold a grudge, to allow a, a stronghold of bitterness to build up in his life and continue to thank God. I believe that with all of my heart. And I just want to say, too, that during this holiday season, I want to encourage you, you know, during this weekend of Thanksgiving, which we're in right now, as we head towards Christmas and celebrating Hanukkah right here at the same time, during this season, let the Holy Spirit examine your heart to see if you hold anything against anybody, especially in your family. Yeah, I know that's a big statement, but you know how the holidays are. You get together with family members. Some people fly in, drive in, whatever, and then oftentimes people leave going, oh, that's why I only go there once a year. You know, <laughs> I don't mean to go prying, but... You know, let's just be honest, realistically, sometimes our family can be the hardest ones to spend time around. And you know, if there's one lesson, one of the lessons, hey, that's my father-in-law in the front row. He's amen in that. We just happen to live next door, so yeah. <laughs> One thing that I learned from, I remember so vividly, again, I probably said this before, but from losing my friend Matt, our friend Matt, was life's too short to hold anything against anybody. And uh, a miracle happened, and my ex-wife, who I believe me, I had a lot against, and likewise, she brought our son Noah to the funeral and sat in the balcony and wept. And a short time later, her and I sat down at a coffee shop and just buried, just let it all go. Just let it all go because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And only through Christ can, can I do that. Can we do that? But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, Paul said only three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And um, the greatest of these is love. Let's come back to where I started, agape love. If his love was so great for me, can I not pour that out to somebody else, even somebody who's betrayed me, even someone who's wronged me and continually wrongs me? Let's put in whatever scenario. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what Joseph did to show what Jesus would do. He was killed by his own brothers. Jesus was. He was betrayed. But what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I found that to be a secret in forgiveness. Because I, what I love about Jesus, this is a total sidetrack again, but 
I feel like and the Lord's been taking us here. Byron talked about this recently. Is when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. He didn't stop there. He said, because they don't know what they're doing. In other words, if they knew the pain, if they knew what they were doing, they probably wouldn't do that. And you know the old slogan, hurt people, hurt people. You know, and when people hurt us, or hurt, we hurt others, that's not just in a vacuum. It happens, why? It happens because they've been hurt. That cycle of hurt just continues. Why does that matter, Matthew? Because somehow when I can see that, let me just go in my scenario, with my ex-wife, for example, when I can look back and go, oh man, she's a really wounded person. It helps me to find a little bit of compassion and forgiveness to say, well, Lord, you've forgiven me everything. I can forgive her. I can forgive this person. Because again, life's just too short. Besides that, it clouds up the TV screen of our hearts. Jesus said, he who has eyes to see and ears to hear, let him see and hear. I can't hear, I can't see as well when my heart's so, that TV screen, you know, it's all staticky and, you know, whatever. You can't quite make out the picture. That's what unforgiveness does. It hinders sin. It hinders believing. It hinders that faith that God planted in our hearts. Let's read about Abraham in Hebrews 11. Are you guys okay? All right, I don't want to go too long here. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. I will. Because Jim said it. By faith, Abraham, Hebrews 11, 13, obeyed. And I, I just finished my intro, by the way. That was, that was all the introduction. Now we're getting to the message, you know, so uh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, my pastor used to say growing up, always be wary of a, of a preacher who says I'm beginning to close. <laughs> Because that's usually like an hour from when he actually closes, beginning to close. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where in the world he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Isn't that cool? He had his boys with him. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By the way, I entitled this message, if you're taking notes, Faith Sees a City. Faith Sees a City. Because when I read that, that he could see a city, man, my heart just leapt inside of me. There's a city, God? What does this city look like? Let me keep going here. I'll come back. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Verse 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly 
that they seek a homeland. Doesn't that just build faith in your heart? Just reading it is enough. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God's prepared a place. He's prepared a city. And you know what? It's a lot more real than Mooresville or Charlotte or Chapel Hill. This city is abounding. It is flowing with every resource our hearts could desire and beyond. This city is filled with light. In fact, those who have been there say that there's no need for the sun in this city because the light permeates from everywhere because He is the light. And His essence is in everything. It even comes from the blades of grass that are a brilliant, magnificent green. There's light everywhere emanating because He is the light. It's in the city is prepared for us. Doesn't that make your heart just leap for joy? God's prepared a city and that is our reality. That's our reality. Now, the actual pilgrims in 1620 came here to establish a city on a hill. It's kind of interesting in this holiday we just celebrated and remembering the pilgrims. They could see that, yeah, we're not free to worship God like we want to here, but if we go to this unknown destination, a place that had barely been discovered and explored, we can worship God and establish a city whose foundation is the Lord. They saw something, what, with the eyes of faith. Did they know what it would look like? No. And as we celebrated this feast, we also kind of lament that over half of them died didn't make it through the first winter so were these guys so were the saints because the verse starts out with these all died having not received what god promised that's not fair we like to say it's not fair like my two-year-old says daddy it's not fair but listen we have a just god it is fair is it equal no Equal's not the same thing as fair. That's a very important distinguishing factor. But God is just. And even though they died, the Bible says that they could see something greater than just their lifetime. And I want to ask you this morning is, can you see beyond your house? Can you see beyond your 80 to 100 years, whatever you're given? Can you see past that? Well, yeah, I can see my kids. Can you see further than that? Well, yeah, I got some grandkids. Can you see further than your grandkids? Can you see your grandkids' grandkids? Do you even know what your great-great-granddaddy's name was? I don't. You see, that's just how quick you do. Okay, yeah. (laughs) I knew somebody would and just blow it all for me. You get the point in a very short time Our grandchildren aren't even going to know what our names were. But yet we can give them something. How? Through the seat of faith. Through the eyes of faith because we see something greater for them. One of the things I love that Byron's taught us over like the past six years about the spiritual world and the supernatural world is why? Why does this matter? And one of the things that he said over and over again is because the end is going to come. 
the tri- some generation is going to go through what the Bible refers to as a tribulation, a great trying period right at the end of time. And if we're not it, our grandkids could be it. But it, sh- certainly one thing is true. Some of our descendants will live during that period. And if they are going to survive, if they're going to be the faithful ones, they're going to have to be able to learn, they're going to learn to live from a different realm. They're going to have to learn to live from heaven to earth. So as a great, great, great granddad, let's just use for example, if it's that many generations, I'm going to start the heritage now and I'm going to pass it on. So that's what the, the saints in Hebrews or in the Old Testament that he talked about in Hebrews, that's what they could see is they could see you and I and they said on their deathbed, man, I, I haven't received it, but that's okay. Because somebody down the line is. They saw you and I. They saw us sitting here in this room. And then in Hebrews 12, it says, and the great cloud of witnesses is like cheering us on. So evidently, I'm kind of hoping that there's still a, a heaven-to-earth perspective that the descendants from long ago can look at us right now in real time and say, yes, you go, girl. You know, you take the baton and run because there's a heavenly city. We're here now. If we could speak through this thin veil of eternity, we'd tell you all about it. But I tell you what, we can't necessarily always tell you, so just read the Bible. Because the Bible tells you clearly there's a very thin veil and there's a heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly city that will one day be the entire population's reality. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, that Jerusalem will be here. What am I doing? I'm trying to call into our focus what is really important. Doesn't it bother you that Black Friday is now on Thanksgiving Thursday? Why does it bother me? Because it's not what's important. It's what I loved about Thanksgiving better than Christmas. It's because it's not all about what we get, but it's about loving the people that we're with. But anyway, besides that, let me step down off that soapbox. (laughs) You can see from a different perspective, this is what's important. My life even is not all that matters. It's those who are to come and it's my precious Jesus who paid it all. I owe him that. I I don't owe him that as a slave. I I, I want to give it to him as a lovesick worshiper of a father who's paid it all for you and I. Will you join me? I know you would. You will. He's prepared a city for them. Here's an interesting progression of thought. And I'm going to steal Byron's revelation from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Okay? So in other words, what Byron's taught is that there's a progression here Paul uses that actually goes in reverse. It begins with our understanding. Okay? Our understanding, which is rooted in our thoughts... It becomes what? It becomes, wait, I, I, I'm ahead of myself, sorry. Our thought, he says, I thought as a child third. Our thoughts become our understanding. In other words, our understanding is all of our values and our beliefs and our convictions. What we believe about God, what we believe about other people, what we believe about ourselves. Those don't just come out of thin air. Those come from the things we think about don't they? What you believe rules you, as Arthur Burt would say. What you believe rules you becomes your understanding. From your understanding comes what? Comes your actions. Comes 
what he referred to as I spoke, comes the words that we speak, and then the words that we speak become our reality. We, in essence, then create our reality from our thoughts to our beliefs and convictions, then to the actions that we actually do, which are rooted in those. The reason that I find that interesting is because in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, the, the author of Hebrews kind of uses the same progression, but in order. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. Okay, but having seen them, in other words, they thought them, they saw them and they believed them. They could see something. Has anybody ever had a powerful daydream? You know what I like to call it a sanctified daydream. In other words, you feel like the Holy Spirit is showing you something, not physically, but you can just see something. Everything starts with a vision, right? This iPhone here, it began as a thought, Somebody, namely Steve Jobs, had a thought. And he envisioned what we love to use in our hands. Right? That's where it came from. You and I, we have thoughts. We probably have billions of them every day. Some more than others. Like I guarantee you, John Crowley has a lot of thoughts about things that could be or whatever because that's the gift God has given John. But there's just these thoughts about what could be. But if they stop there, that's just simply thoughts. But if they become our conviction, if they become something we're occupied with, it goes on here and it says, so they saw them and they embraced them. They were, I'm sorry, I'll miss one. They were assured of them and they embraced them. Okay, I think that assurance and that embracing is the understanding that Paul talked about. Um, It's interesting, I was looking up the word assurance biblically and here's what it is, check this out. Assurance means the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. The tangible fulfillment. So these patriarchs, they could see what? They could see that God was going to tangibly fulfill what He had promised. In their generation? Perhaps not. But would it still be worth it to pursue it? That was their their thing. And then finally, confession. It goes on, it says, they were strangers and pilgrims, they were assured of them, embraced them, and what? They confessed. Their words formed their reality. I believe that, especially when the Lord speaks to you, you should first of all write it down. How many people like to do that? Write down, Steve Jobs' invention helps with that. I can just take out my little notepad, jot it down, it's there i got lots and lots of words from the Lord other people have given me or I've just gotten from the Lord myself. Write it down and then begin to speak it. Begin to speak those words. Read them to yourself. Read them to your wife. Read them to you know, your co- whoever, your friends, your trusted friends. Begin to speak into the atmosphere around you the words of the Lord, the promises of God. Why? Because it's the operation of faith. The operation of faith begins with seeing or hearing. Those are equated by Jesus in the Gospels. By seeing and hearing something, by embracing and being assured of them, and then by confessing those things. Are you following me? What do they see? They saw a heavenly country. What is the heavenly country? It's the spirit world. Jesus referred to it as the kingdom of heaven. They could see a kingdom of heaven. We can see that. In our minds, are you guys okay? I'm beginning to close. That's a catchphrase.
No, I really am. Seriously, I really am. <laughs> I'm looking through. I've gone completely out of order, which is really unusual for me, Ken. You know, I'm usually really in order, right? So I'm looking on my notes to figure out where in the world I am. This is a good thing. Are you willing to be one of those men or women who see, are assured of, embrace, and confess, even if you go to the grave yet to receive the fullness of the dream? (laughs) Why not? What else is life worth living for if it's not that? And that seems like such a duh thing. But at the same time, if we're honest... We look around sometimes at our lives, and we're not necessarily living from that perspective, yes? You know, so that's where God wants to just encourage our hearts that this is exactly what it's all about. Jesus said in uh, Mark Mark 4.14, is that that scripture? Be careful, take heed what you see. Take heed what you see. I'll add in there here because he equated those things. Take heed what you see or hear, 424, because in the same measure that you use it, it will be given. It's like really interesting. Okay, Lord, so I'm going to be careful. It says they saw things. I want to be careful what I see. I'm not talking about watching television. It could be that. That's not what I mean. I want to be careful... In my heart, with the eyes of my heart, what is it that I'm seeing? Am I only seeing bad news? What's the problem? Am I only seeing the negative? What's the problem? Or am I dwelling on what God is doing rather than not on what He's not? Begin to see those things that Paul talks about, those things that are lovely and pure and of good report and noble, right? What does he say? Dwell on these things. Why? Because you'll see, your your seeing, your your inner seeing will go, you'll start to live from that perspective. Assured of the promises, the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. Colossians 2.2 says, this is, Paul prayed this, that our hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, the full assurance. I think this is the biggest battle. In my observation, one of our biggest battles comes in this in-between phase. We can get all hip, hip, hooray. We're at church. God shows you something or a friend gives you a word. You're like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this. This is awesome. But then walking it out. That's where the assurance comes in. Because maybe your environment is telling you the opposite of the words you got. And then you're going, is it assurance or insurance? Maybe I should have bought insurance on that. No, it's not insurance. It's assurance. That's the tangible promise that God is faithful, that it's going to come to pass. It's that thing that's the biggest battle in our life. What promises has the Lord given you? Just think about those right now. Can anybody think about one promise that over the years even, maybe it was 40 years ago, God gave me a promise. Raise your hand if something comes to mind. Wow, look at all these promises. 
brings to mind a children's song. Jacob sang one this morning, so can I. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. You guys know that one? Okay, that didn't go over so well. (laughs) What promises has God given you? Now, what does it mean to embrace them? It means to cling to them. It means to hold on to them. Exactly right, Don. Hold on to the promise that God gave you. Well, what if I never see it? Consider yourself blessed. You share like Abraham in the great cloud of wit. I should be honored if God gave me a promise that my great-great-grandson fulfills. That should be considered in our culture an honor. Today, I think we, we consider it a detriment. I think we just, we get grumbly and complain. We're just like, God, you said. Now, listen, I'm holding out for big times in my lifetime. How about you, Jim? You know, and I'm not relegating anything to like future generations. I, that's not what I intend to do here. I'm just saying that God's faithful. And whether we see it tangibly or not, God's faithful. Last one was confess the promises. Our words create our reality. Speak out and pray and decree the promises. Let me conclude with the, the great scripture from the next chapter, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Man, I'm 10 minutes early. Ooh, come on, shikaboomba. Maybe I should go on to the next chapter, Marlon. Just keep going. I'm joking. <laughs> you know, but I don't think anybody ever complained about getting out of church early. Have you ever thought about that? You've never been sitting at lunch and people around the dinner table are like, man, that preacher, you know, he let us, he he didn't preach very long today. He let us out early. You know, you never hear about that. So just, just an observation. I'm just saying, all right. Jesus is the originator and the finisher of our faith. Isn't that good news? Not you and I. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every doubt, every fear, every and the sin which so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why don't you stand with me? I just want to say something real quick. Y'all can stand. It won't be long. But I was just, that Matthew 16, where he, I just feel like this is what, this is part of where we're seeing, okay? Because I believe the Lord, like Matthew's saying, what the Lord wants to do is he wants to give us the keys, He wants us to see things that he has, and he wants to give us the keys. And where he's talking to Peter, Matthew mentioned it, and and, well, he's talking to the disciples, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And I believe what he was saying was on this rock of seeing, okay, not just Peter, but seeing things from a heavenly perspective. 
of, of seeing things in a place of really seeing, receiving things from the Father, okay? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, what he was talking about just in a little bit later is when he's talking to the disciples about the fact that he had to die, and Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 okay? And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And that's where we get off, is that seeing, is, is that, is that, is, is that, where are we getting our information from? You know, and what God is calling us and encouraging us is to see that he's faithful. It's, that's what Sarah said. It said that she counted God faithful to bring forth his promises. He saw that he, she saw that he was faithful, you know, and that he could bring it forth. And if you're today really discouraged with what things are, are seen around you ask God for his perspective his perspective not to see things on the things of men you know and your emotions maybe even the things that the way things look but God give us your perspective you know those are the keys those are the keys that you can grab hold of that you can that you can grab hold of and start declaring and really saying, this is who, what the Father says. You know, because what Peter didn't see is that him dying on the cross was going to bring freedom for many. For, you know, and it was going to release the Holy Spirit, that he was going to be raised from the dead. You know, it's that greater perspective that we need. It is that, it is that, Lord, give us that perspective that's for the generations that is not just held in what I see right now and what I feel right now in the moment. I want the greater perspective. There's a greater, there is a greater glory, Lord, that you want to see poured out on all the earth. So, Lord, I'm asking you right now that you would come with your greater perspective, Father, that you would release to each one of us. We want to hear not the things of men, but we want to hear our Father in heaven giving us your perspective. God, our Father, let your kingdom come. Let your perfect will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking you, I'm asking you, Father, Father, Daddy, Daddy, in heaven, release to us today your perspective, your greater, the greater, the greater, the greater glory, Lord, the greater glory. That's what we're here for is the greater, the greater glory, Lord. So I'm asking you right now, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, a download. We're asking for a fresh download today of your greater perspective that greater perspective lord we want to be those that you build your church on we want to be those that see things from the greater perspective 
Lord, the greater. Lord, that's what you, the keys of heaven, Lord, are in you, are in you, Father, in you, Father. Lord, let us not be held by circumstances. Let us not be held by the things of this world, but be transformed by a renewing of our minds in you, Lord Jesus. In you, Lord God. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy, that you are faithful, that you are faithful to bring forth all that you've planned, all that you've promised, just in time, Lord. Just in time. Your timing is perfect, Lord. Your timing is perfect, Lord. I want to pray for um, those who are just really struggling in your faith right now. I don't mean like faith as a Christian. I mean like you've got issues in your life, like needs. You just need stuff. And uh, it could be finances. It could be relational issues. It could be healing. You know, faith is the currency of heaven. And uh, uh, I just want to pray for your faith right now. So if that's you, just kind of put your, lay hands on yourself. <laughs> just put, hand, put your hand on your heart right now. Holy Spirit, just ask you to come and touch right now. Touch these, God, who are just really struggling right now to believe, to hold on to the word. I pray you'd remind them of the words that you've spoken the words that you've given them. And right now, we just exchange our faith for yours, God. We just ask for the divine exchange right now. We give up our hope, our beliefs, our whatever, and we take yours, Jesus. We grab a hold of your faith, Jesus, that even you, you even endured the cross and the shame and the pain because of your faith. And we share in that right now. So Holy Spirit, impart that right now. And to those in this room who need that faith, the faith of Christ, the faith for forgiveness, the faith for provision, the faith for healing, all of the above, God, just release it right now all across this room, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we can have our ministry team come up here and maybe you... uh would like somebody to pray for, with you one-on-one -on -one about that particular issue. That's one of the reasons this team is up here every week. Please come up here and, and let one of these just say, man, I'm really struggling with this. Will you pray with me? We want to minister to one another. If you need healing, is any among you sick? The Bible says, come and let us lay hands on you. You will be healed. So we want to pray for, for anybody who's sick, needs healing, if you want to meet Jesus for the first time, you've never been born again, had a heart transplant spiritually, come up here and tell one of these people, man, I want to meet the Lord. I want to be assured of my salvation. So amen. You guys enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. Be blessed.